Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. Thank you for joining me. Today we're going to continue in our Beauty of Grace series, and today we're looking at Lesson 54, The Crucifixion of Grace. The Crucifixion of Grace. Now I want to explain what I mean. After understanding our roles with the Holy Spirit in cooperating, consenting, and capitulating, and the genuineness of the circumcision of grace that we discussed in the last episode, we can now understand how to identify the crucifixion of grace. Now in saying this, I do not mean the same as what Jesus Christ has done for us. Nothing and no one can compare to the crucifixion and the finished work of Jesus on the cross as we have brought out thoroughly throughout this series. He was the one and one for all sacrifice of his own body on that cross that has brought salvation to everyone who will believe. But there is a crucifixion associated with grace in the lives of the church, and it connects us with the surrender and the willing consent that we will then offer to the Lord as his servants and disciples, that surrender, that consent and capitulation we've been talking about over these last few episodes. Crucifixion in the first century was a very cruel form of execution for prisoners and those that were accused and that they had deemed to be guilty of some crime. It was used by the Romans on many people, including on Jesus. Now, Jesus was crucified, as was prophesied by the prophets in the Old Testament, according to the scriptures. Paul makes that very clear. Jesus makes that very clear. The prophets of the Old Testament make that very clear. But it was still at the hands of both Jews and Gentiles. The Romans, the Greeks, and the Jews all killed him. The Jews cried out, some of them in their leadership, cried out, crucify him, crucify him. They took him to Pilate. They had him executed. And the Romans and the Greeks were the ones that were actually doing the actual physical killing. But the Jews were mocking him even on that hill on that day. So it was at the hands of both Jews and Gentiles that he was crucified. Yet it was his willing surrender to his father's will. He willingly sacrificed himself. The prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. Remember, he said, not my will, but thine be done. And he knew exactly what that meant because the father's will is expressed to us in Isaiah 53, in Psalm 22, and even in Daniel chapter 9, where he was going to be cut off. He was going to be bruised and crushed. He would be crucified. It was even pictured in the gospel that was preached to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, as God gave a beautiful picture of Abraham and Isaac and Abraham's offering of Isaac. Isaac was most likely around 30 years old, very young, very strong, well able to have resisted, and yet 
Isaac pictures the willing son. Abraham pictures the willing father. But it was a test of Abraham's faith. And God supplied in that moment a ram in the thicket that became the substitute for mankind. That ram in the thicket was the substitute for Isaac. Jesus is that ram that was pictured in Genesis 22 that would lay down on that cross and willingly surrender, yielding his life, just as he said he would do. I want to read John chapter 10, verse 11 through 18. Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So Jesus willingly yielded his life. Paul tells us even in Philippians chapter 2, how he obeyed even to the death on the cross. So with crucifixion, there is a killing. It brings about death to what is crucified. Now, for the church, this does not necessarily mean that we will physically have to give our lives for Jesus. Not everyone has had to do that, and not everyone may have to do that. Some might. There is suffering associated with the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus warned us about that. He told us that they're going to hate you just like they hate me. They're going to hate you because they hate me. So he prepared us through his words for such persecution on his behalf. The apostles did as well. And we know that all of the apostles, except for John, ultimately were martyred. So there is some suffering in such a way. Maybe not through crucifixion, but through some other form of execution or persecution. Only God knows that for every single person. But all Christians are to crucify certain things in their life. Willingly, intentionally, in light of the higher and better things associated with Jesus and the rewards that will come in this life and in the life to come. The New Testament tells us to mortify or to kill or to crucify the flesh, its passions, lusts, and all other loves and desires, and to live a surrendered life to him. Let's talk about some of these specifics in the scriptures that speak about this crucifixion 
what I'm calling the crucifixion of grace and our part in it. What is to be crucified by or within the church by each individual member of the body of Christ? First of all, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. And I want to read verse 16 through verse 25. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So Paul is telling us here that those who are Christ will crucify the flesh. What's he talking about? Well, he just defined it in verse 19 through 21, the works of the flesh. He listed these various things and the like. And he's talking about those things. Those are sins and works of the flesh. He also says to crucify it with its affections, its passions, its influence, its emotions, and its lusts. Those cravings, those longings, those desires, especially for what is forbidden. Notice in this passage that we just read in Galatians 5, that Paul is talking here about works versus fruit. Works of the flesh are things, actions. They are what's done by energy and effort and intention versus the fruit of the Spirit, which is an outgrowth or a byproduct. It comes simply from abiding in the vine. It comes simply from growing and receiving the nutrients and the life of the Lord by abiding in him. Fruit has as its source the Holy Spirit's work, contrasted with the works of our flesh, works that we do versus the work the Holy Spirit is doing. And the fruit of the Spirit has no limit. There's no law against it. There's no limit. You can have and exhibit and live with as much of the fruit of the Spirit as you want to and as you will accept. But Paul tells us here to crucify the flesh and its affections and lusts. Be dead to it. Be dead to it. Die to it completely. Take discipline and self-control and die to the flesh. When we obey, 
It might be hard at first, oh yes, but it will get easier over time as we simply submit, surrender, and willingly obey. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul writes this, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Then he says in verse 15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. So here Paul is saying that we are to be crucified to the world. This is the cosmos, the Greek word cosmos. And it also includes the whole of the universe, the arrangement of the world, but it also talks about the adorning or the decoration, what it might desire, what one might desire of the things of the world, all of its embellishments, its pleasures, its attractions, its riches, its advantages or pursuits. Beloved friend, one of the greatest things that every one of us can do today is to detach from the world. Early on in this year, I did a standalone message about this very subject, and I believe I called it detach or detaching or something along those lines. But I talked about detaching from the world. And today, when we're looking at the crucifixion of grace, I want to read 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, where John gives us a stark definition, a stark advice, and stark instruction here. John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The world here is defined, what he's talking about, about crucifying to the world, crucifying our flesh, dying to the world. John defines it here, and he says it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And the instruction we have from Scripture is to detach from it, detest it, defect. In other words, get away from it and avoid it. Don't have any more to do with it and disconnect, completely break off from the world, from the world as defined, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Crucify it. Abide in Jesus in his love instead. Love him. Let the Holy Spirit Produce the fruit of the Spirit in abundance in you and find the joy and freedom of the crucifixion of grace. I want to lastly let us look at Galatians chapter 2. Paul here in the context of this chapter is speaking of the freedom in Christ for all who will believe. Those who are of the true circumcision of the Spirit by grace, not the circumcision of the flesh. He speaks here of not returning to the law, but rather living free in Christ. He'll repeat that in chapter 5, verse 11. But I want us to look at chapter 2, 
verse 19 through 21 specifically. And he says this, For I through the law died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So Paul here is saying that there's a crucifixion. Jesus' crucifixion is what brings us life and freedom. He speaks of his crucifixion to everything in the world except Jesus Christ. And now he is living in freedom through Jesus' work in his life. He lives by faith in the Son of God, the one who loved him, the one who died for him. And we can do the same. May each of us find this same freedom in the crucifixion of grace as we surrender our lives to Jesus and let him live through us, knowing that he loved us enough to die for us. Praise be to God. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes and messages in this Beauty of Grace series. God bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.